0: today? Psalm 119 verses 49 through 56. Psalm 119 49 through 56 says, remember your word to your servant for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law. I remember Lord your ancient laws and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night, Lord, I remember your name, that I may keep your law. <laughs> this has been my practice. I obey your precepts. <laughs> so, yeah, technology is great till it doesn't work. <laughs> but we see through, uh, we've been reading through Psalm 119, and we see through, the, through this psalm that obeying God's law is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. People act like the law is, is some, somehow bad, but the law is good. It's through God's laws that we, we are blessed, and we live the type of life that he's created us to live. And in, in obeying his laws, there's a there's great blessing. So this is just a reminder that as we uh, come into this Easter season, we celebrate the uh, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's because of what he did for us that we're able to, to, to keep his laws and, and live the kind of life that Jesus died so that we could live it. So that's what we're going to We're going to worship the Lord today. But first, let's uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
1: sin was as black as could be. Jesus came forth to be born of a Turn black.
2: song chokes me up every single time I'll tell you as we take the cup and the bread together in remembrance of the life death and resurrection of Jesus we must remember why he came here he was sent here to save all of us so that we will have eternal life with him after his life of teaching healing and showing God's grace the final proof that eternity was his resurrection after the third day of his death Jesus wants all of us to be with him. All all we have to do is follow his commands. Father God, we thank you for this day. And I pray for all of us for boldness to speak words of wisdom to draw others to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Good morning. morning. Welcome to our Easter service. Now is the time um, in our service for announcements. Um, Just a a few quick things. Um, Out in the foyer underneath the table, um, sorry, underneath the TV, we have Matthew 25 Ministries, pill bottle donations. If you have um, prescription or over-the-counter pill bottles that are empty, we will take them and take them back over to Matthew 25. Um, Any used ink cartridges, we will accept those to reduce any costs here for the church office supplies food pantry and clothes closet as uh, Miss Linda testified earlier uh, it's going very well um, not that people are in need but when they have needs they know where they can go and can be blessed for that and we have a place to serve if you're interested in serving there that's every Thursday from 5 to 7. Women's Bible study is empty nesters studying the book of Galatians on Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house And we do have a free dance fitness class called ReFit Revolution. It's on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30, right here in the sanctuary. If you are a lady, it's ladies only. um, We do um, allow teen girls to come in, too. So if you would like to try that out, we'd love to have you. Tithes and offerings can be placed in the offering box in the back underneath the clock. Thank you so much.
0: All right. So um, this is the... A lot of people like Christmas and stuff like that. I like Christmas too, but this is my favorite day of the year because we get to talk about the resurrection of the Lord. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's uh, turn together in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and then we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the title of today's teaching is Jesus has risen just as he said. In Matthew 28, 1 through 10, the scriptures say, Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You may be seated. What is the most important event in human history? Is it the birth of Jesus? Is it the death of Jesus? Well, both of those events are very important, but there's another event that's more important. Because without this event, the birth and death of Jesus are meaningless. What is this event? What's the event we celebrate here today? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in human history because the resurrection of Jesus gives the birth and death of Jesus their importance. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then he was just another man and all of this whole thing is pointless. But the resurrection gives the birth and death of Jesus their importance. And the resurrection of Jesus proves Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is God's son, God come in the flesh. As Paul says in Romans 1, 4, Jesus was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Now, while Jesus was on earth, his miracles proved that Jesus is God's son that he's God in the flesh, Christ our Lord. After he was crucified, died, and was buried, his resurrection proves he is God's son, God in the flesh, Christ our Lord. See, Jesus said that he would die and rise again, and Jesus has risen, just as he said. And today we're going to talk about how that truth should affect each and every one of our lives. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to gather to celebrate the most monumental day in the history of humanity. As we study the truth about the resurrection of your Son and our Lord, give us the grace to believe and obey the truth. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Jesus has risen, just as he said. You know, in a world that constantly creates new ways to try to get get us to doubt that truth, we need to be reminded what the truth of that statement is based on. But too many people operate under the assumption that Christians believe blindly in Jesus. And that we've got to leave our minds at the church door when we, come in to, when we come to have faith in Christ. But that could not be further from the truth. The Christian faith is a reasonable faith. And like no other faith, the Christian faith is based on historical facts. Historical facts are facts based on eyewitness accounts. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Abraham Lincoln was born February 12th, 1809 in Hardin County, Kentucky. Lincoln became the 16th president of the United States in 1861. And on the evening of Good Friday, April 14, 1865, President Lincoln was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. Now, how do we know the things I just said about Abraham Lincoln are true? And none of us were there to see those things, right? So we believe what we do about Abraham Lincoln because these are historical facts. The people who lived at the same time as Abraham Lincoln, these eyewitnesses reported these facts about Abraham Lincoln. And we have no reason to doubt the truthfulness of their claims. Well, it's the same with the historical facts about Jesus. The eyewitnesses who lived at the same time as Jesus tell us what they heard and what they saw. They heard that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of, of, the, of the Virgin Mary. They saw Jesus live a sinless life and do many miracles. They heard Jesus say that he would suffer and die and rise again on the third day. And in the year 33 AD, they saw Jesus suffer and be crucified under the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. They saw Jesus die on a cross between two thieves. And then they saw what we read in John nineteen thirty-eight through 42. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with with spices and strips of linen, this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, in Matthew's gospel, he adds that the tomb where they laid Jesus was Joseph's tomb, and that Joseph rolled a stone in front of the door. Matthew also says the Jewish leaders asked Pilate to seal the tomb and guard it, so the disciples would not come and steal Jesus' body. Now, everything I just said to you are historical facts about the death, the burial, death and the burial of Jesus. They were reported by the people who heard and saw these things. And not many people will deny those historical facts about Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. See, if we stop there, we miss the most important part. Because those same eyewitnesses also tell us what we read in today's passage. Two Marys came to Joseph's tomb where Jesus, Jesus' body had been laid. And an angel of God says to them, well, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, right? Well, you won't find him here. You're not going to find him in his tomb because he's not here. Why? Because Jesus has risen, just as he said. And then the, angels, the angel invites these women to look at the evidence. They could come and see the place where Jesus lay, come and see that the tomb is empty. And today, God still invites us to view the evidence, to come and see that the tomb is empty, come and see that Jesus has risen, just as he said. And we look at the evidence by looking at the historical facts in the writings of the eyewitnesses who recorded these facts. You know, just because so many of the facts about Jesus involve the miraculous, that does not make them any less historically factual. This is where people run into a problem. They can't explain it, so they say, oh, this couldn't have happened. We'll take everything else they said, but we don't take that as a fact. It's all historical facts. The historical facts surrounding Jesus' resurrection are validated by many reliable eyewitnesses. People who saw Jesus crucified, who saw Jesus die, who saw Jesus was buried, and then saw Jesus after his resurrection. And at least one reason we know these eyewitnesses are reliable is because they put their money where their mouth is, and they were willing to die for what they were saying about Jesus. They willingly experienced some of the most brutal tortures and deaths imaginable because they believed and taught that Jesus is the Son of God our Lord and our Savior, as he claimed to be and as his resurrection proved him to be. Now, many people die for something they believe to be true, right? Some drink killer Kool-Aid. Others fly Boeings in the buildings. Others blow themselves up with bombs for things that they think are true. And maybe, just maybe, we could find some insane people who are willing to die for something they know is a lie. But it's very unreasonable to believe that the 12 apostles and many others endured cruel tortures and even agonizing deaths for something that they knew was a lie. And if Jesus did not rise from the grave, well, then all those early eyewitnesses suffered and some of them died for something that they knew was a lie because they were in a position to know for certain whether what they were saying and what they believed about Jesus was true or not. They claim that Jesus rose from the grave. They claim that they saw him, that they talked with him after he rose from the grave. Now, either that's true or it's not. And if none of that is true, then all of them suffered and died for something they knew was a lie. Totally unreasonable, right? But the fact is, those early eyewitnesses did not suffer and die for a lie. They accepted terrible treatment and even death because they were absolutely certain Jesus has risen from the grave just as he said. And they were certain of this because, as Luke writes in Acts 1-3, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So after his death and resurrection, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles and to others day after day over a period of 40 days. And Jesus gave them many convincing proofs. And I want you to notice that word. He proved to them, gave them overwhelming evidence that he is alive. Now, Paul talks about these appearances of the risen Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Paul writes this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter, by the way. He appeared to Peter and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And what Paul's saying here is you can go check Check out what I'm saying to you on this. These people are still alive. You can go get the evidence for yourself. Go talk to the eyewitnesses. Paul goes on to say, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So after his resurrection, the risen Jesus appeared on many occasions to many people, and he appeared to hundreds of people at the same time. And in all these appearances, Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he is alive. He talked with people, walked with people, ate real food with people, showed people the scars in his hands and his feet and his side, told them to touch him and to see that he was real flesh and bones. And these appearances were enough to convince even doubting Thomas that Jesus is who he claimed to be, our Lord, our God, our Savior. The proof The evidence that Jesus rose from the dead is so overwhelming that to reject this truth, well, you've got to rewrite history. And sadly, you'll find no shortage of men and women these days who are willing to do just that. And they sell a lot of books, and they deceive a lot of people. But listen to this. If they were honest with the real historical facts about Jesus, And if they did not try to explain away what was clearly written by those who were eyewitnesses of his life, well, then they, and also we, are forced to come to one conclusion. Jesus of Nazareth suffered, died, and was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. Jesus has risen just as he said. So if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. This is truth, right? The historical faith of Christianity is based on the firm foundation of the well-established historical fact that Jesus has risen from the grave. And by rising from the grave, Jesus proved he is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And since Jesus proved he is the Son of God, well, that means that we can trust everything else that Jesus said, everything he said about God the Father, about himself, about the apostles, about his church, about the truth, about life and death and the world to come. And because Jesus has proven he is the son of God by his resurrection, well, we can also trust that his purpose for coming will be accomplished in all who trust and obey him. So what was the purpose for Christ's coming? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The message of Christianity is a message of reconciliation. Jesus came on a rescue mission to redeem and remake humanity so that we could be reconciled or brought back into fellowship with God through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that, Jesus united his divine nature with our human nature when the Son of God was incarnated. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin and became a divine human being. Jesus lived a sinless life as a divine human being. Jesus suffered and died as a divine human being. Jesus rose again as a divine human being. And Jesus ascended into heaven as a divine human being. And there is now and forever will be a divine human being seated at the right hand of God the Father. And humanity, listen to this, humanity is now and forever will be united to God in the God-man Jesus Christ. The God's Son did all that to save humanity, from slavery to sin, which includes every destructive addiction that ruins our lives, to save us from slavery to Satan, which includes all his lies and schemes that keep us from God, to save us from death and the grave because the Son of God trampled down death by his death and conquered the grave by his resurrection, Jesus died and rose again to create a new humanity in himself so that we can put off our old sinful selves and put on the new self, be reconciled to God. And listen to this. This is the most important part. Become like God, become by grace what Jesus is by nature through our union with Christ. The church has missed God's grace for many, many years. We don't understand God's grace at all. God's grace is given to change us. Not to just say, I cover everything. That's mercy. Grace is God's power at work in us to make us like him. Paul talks about this in Ephesians four twenty-two to 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Listen to this right here. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That this salvation where we put off our old sinful self and put on the new self and become like God through grace, well, this is the salvation that Christ came to give us. And this salvation is available to all of humanity. But there are conditions to receiving this salvation. Too many people talk as if there are no conditions, as if... Jesus just did it all, and Jesus expects nothing at all from all of us. We just kind of coast along as he drags us into heaven many times against our will, right? Jesus did it all, none for you to do. But there are definite conditions to receiving the salvation Jesus came to bring us. What are those conditions? Well, let's look at how the apostle Peter answers that question in Acts chapter 2. Now, the scene is Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. This is 50 days after the first resurrection Sunday. Jesus has ascended into heaven and has just poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit on God's people. This resulted in a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire being given to God's people, and they were speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And a large crowd of Jewish people from all over the world, they gather to see what's happening. Peter stands up with the other 11 apostles and preaches the gospel to the crowd. The gist of his message is this. You and your rulers killed Jesus by having him crucified. But this was all a part of God's plan to save you. God raised Jesus from the dead, and his resurrection proves that Jesus is Israel's king, that Jesus is your king. He's the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's our Lord and our Savior. And this Jesus is the one through whom God promised to bring salvation to the world. Now, when the people believed this truth about Jesus, they were cut to the heart, and they asked what should we do? How should we respond now that we believe Jesus is our Lord and our Savior? And in Acts 2.38, Peter tells them how to respond. Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And in verse 40, Luke continues, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So in Peter's message, we see three conditions to receiving the salvation Jesus came to bring us. First, we must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, our Lord and our Savior and God has made this very easy for us to believe this because the truth of the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And when we believe this truth about Jesus, God expects us to respond by meeting a second condition. We must repent. And what this means is we abandon one way of living, living in sin and darkness. We abandon that lifestyle and we re- we surrender ourselves to Jesus our Lord and our savior. We commit to live a new life where we obey everything that Jesus commands us. And our first act of obedience, our first step in abandoning our old sinful life and living a new life. Well, that's the third condition to salvation. We must have our old sinful self buried with Christ in baptism so that we can rise to live a new life. And when the waters of baptism, God's grace is at work God unites us with Christ and applies the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ to us. In the waters of baptism, we're born again through water and the Spirit, and we become a part of Christ's body. In the waters of baptism, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, where we're empowered to live like Jesus through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how we begin our life with Christ. That's how we begin a relationship with God. That's the beginning of salvation. But there's much more to salvation than the beginning. Too many of us get caught in that as well. We're stuck at the beginning. We don't do anything after that. But Jesus gives us a fourth condition we must meet to be saved. We must remain in a relationship with Jesus by obeying his commands. As Jesus says in John 15, 1-10, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus likens our relationship with him to that of branches on a vine. just as a branch cannot have life or bear fruit without staying attached to the vine, well, neither can we have life or bear fruit apart from a close and continuous relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the life-giving vine all of us must get attached to and stay attached to if we're going to be saved and have fellowship with God. And Jesus was incarnated, he suffered, he died and rose again so that we can have this relationship with with God. And this relationship is not that of a harsh master ruling with a heavy hand over servants. Instead, it's a joyous relationship with the one who is our loving Lord, The one who cares for us and patiently teaches us to do what he commands so that we can become like him. And as we do what Jesus commands, will we produce the fruit of a godly life. We're transformed. We become more and more like Jesus through God's grace at work within us. Now, some begin this transformation. They meet the first three conditions of salvation. They become a branch on the vine and they get attached to Jesus. They believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, are baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. But they don't continue in a close and continuous relationship with Jesus. So they don't become like Jesus by continually obeying his commands. And Jesus says branches like this are cut off from him by the Father. They're thrown away, they wither, and eventually they will be thrown into the fire and it doesn't take much imagination to understand what Jesus is trying to say there, right? So it's not enough to get attached to Jesus. We've got to stay attached to Jesus and keep allowing God the Father to prune away everything from us that is unchrist-like until we're completely conformed to Christ's image. And that can only happen if we remain in a close and continuous relationship with Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we remain in this relationship? Well, we remain in this relationship by remaining in the love of Jesus. And how do we remain in the love of Jesus? Well, Jesus said we remain in his love by keeping his commandments. We hear a lot today about the love languages, right? All these different love Well, Jesus' love language is obedience. That's, that's his love language. That's how you show Jesus that you love him. You obey his commandments. So as we close, <laughs> this is why the event we celebrate today is so important. Since Jesus has, uh, has risen, just as he said, well, he's proven he is the son of God, the son of the living God. He's our Lord. He's our savior. And we can trust him to do what he came to the earth to do. Jesus came to save us from our, from our sins, from Satan and from death, to reconcile us to God and make us like God by grace through a close and continuous relationship with Jesus And that salvation is available to all who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, turn away from a sinful life, be baptized into Christ, and remain in Christ by obeying his commands. If we don't do that last thing, then we will not be saved. You'll find a thousand preachers that will tell you something different, but they're liars, they're deceivers, and you need to stop listening to them, okay? You have to remain in Jesus, and you have to obey his commands in order to finally be saved. See, all of that is possible because Jesus has risen just as he said. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to this earth to become like us so that through our union with him, we can become like you. Lord, give us all the grace to remain in a close and continuous relationship with Jesus by obeying his commands until the likeness of Christ is perfected in all of us. We ask it in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Pray. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing of you. There's a couple more things we're going to do, but I'm going to do that right now. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you His peace. In Jesus' name.
4: stopped you Fridays disappointment the sun empty too, but since when it's impossible, never stopped you.
5: Stopped you.
4: Still fire Stirring something new You're not gonna run Out of miracles anytime soon Resurrection power Runs in my veins too I believe there's another miracle Here in this room This is the sound of dry bones Right
2: fastened down I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound, half in hopeless sorrow half in fear the day would bring the soldiers crashing through to drag us all away early in the morning I heard something at the wall the gate began to rattle And a voice began to call I hurried to the window and looked down into the street Expecting swords and torches and the sound of the soldiers' feet There was no one there but Mary I went down to let her in John was there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they'd moved him in the night and none of us knows where. The stone's been rolled away, now his body isn't there. We both ran toward the garden, then John ran on ahead. We found the tomb and the empty stone just the way that Mary said. The winding sheet they'd wrapped him in Was just an empty shell or where they'd taken him Was more than I could tell Something strange had happened here But just what I did not know John believed a miracle And I just turned to go Circumstance and speculation Couldn't lift me very high Watched them crucify him, and I watched him die. Back inside the house again, my guilt and anguish came. Everything I promised him just melted into shame. When at last it lasted, came to choices, I denied I knew his name. If he was alive, it wouldn't be the same Suddenly the air was filled with a strange and sweet perfume Light that shone from everywhere drove shadows from the room Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide  ¶ I just fell down on my knees and clung to him and cried ¶¶ He raised me to my feet and as I looked into his eyes ¶¶ Love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies ¶¶ Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release ¶¶ And every fear I ever had just melted ¶ and into- you're